This conversation with author Gary Thomas is one that I believe every person and every couple needs to hear. Gary is the author of very well-known marriage books like Sacred Marriage and Cherish and has written a new book called Making Your Marriage a Fortress. In this conversation, we discuss the damage that betrayal and broken trust can create within a marriage, whether it is from an affair, pornography addiction, lying, shame, deceit, or insecurity. We discuss what that healing looks like after betrayal occurs within a marriage, our experiences of those around us who have healed from betrayal and are growing and thriving more than ever before, and even how Jesse and I have had to navigate through some shame and deceit in our own relationship. Gary discusses the importance of building a fortress around your marriage to prepare for any pain or heartbreak that is bound to come in a relationship between two sinful, broken people and exactly how to do that. Gary and I also discuss the importance of talking to your children about sex and the dangers of pornography, the accessibility of pornography and pictures, and to remind them regularly of the beauty of sex within the confines of marriage. If you're new to the Living Easy podcast, we discuss in-depth about sex, intimacy, relationships, parenthood, all with a biblical foundation. And if you haven't subscribed yet, just click the subscribe button and you'll be notified on Mondays when a new episode comes out about a topic that is very likely relevant to your life. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out my entire Sex and Christianity series and also episode 91, Navigating Differences in Sex Drive, The Orgasm Gap, and Redefining Biblical Sex. I want to begin by thanking Cozy Earth for sponsoring today's episode. It has only taken 10 years of marriage for Jesse and I to finally realize that we needed to start investing in high-quality pieces to make our home cozy. And not only is it worth it for the sake of peace, at home, but also for intimacy between the two of us. So Cozy Earth gifted us an incredible bamboo sheet set and has been my favorite sheet set yet. And we have honestly spent so much money trying to find the right ones that don't instantly get holes in them or shrink down after one wash. And the Cozy Earth sheet set is so much softer than cotton. And one of my favorite parts about it is that it is temperature regulating. So it keeps you cool and comfortable throughout the night. And I love being cool at night. So Cozy Earth strives to produce the highest quality, longest lasting, most comfortable home luxury products in the world. If you're unsure about your purchase, no stress. This is amazing. They offer a 100 night sleep test, which means you can try it for 100 nights. And if you don't absolutely love it, you can send it back for a full refund. So best of the best part is that Cozy Earth has given us a coupon code exclusively for my listeners for 35% off of anything on the site when you use the code LIVINGEASY. So find the link in my show notes, go check out all of the products that they have to offer. They have way more than just sheets and let's jump into today's episode. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation 
to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Gary Thomas, author of Making Your Marriage a Fortress. Gary is author of wonderful marriage books and has such an abundance of knowledge that I'm very, very excited for you all to hear, especially because it is marriage-focused, and that is what we really, really hone in on on the Living Easy podcast. So thank you so much for being here, Gary. I am honored to have you. Well, I'm honored to be your guest, Lindsay. You're known for being one of those who goes where so many people are afraid to go. So yeah. <laughs> God bless your courage, and I think which is born out of compassion and genuine empathy for your listeners. Thank you. Yes, I I think that a lot of it has stemmed from the amount of messages that I receive, and they all have this undertone where people say, thank you so much for addressing, and not to praise myself, but my guests and the people who are willing to have these conversations like you, where they say, thank you so much for having this conversation because it was never had in my home or in my church or in my family. And I just felt completely alone. Have you found that as you've written these books and mentored these people in your life, that there's kind of this gap in the conversation of healthy marriage, healthy sex life, and kind of just this um, idea of what it means to fight for your relationships? Absolutely. I think as a church, one of the things that holds us back is that we're eager to answer the questions no one is asking, hmm. and we're afraid to address the questions that most people do ask, and That's so they good. have to go elsewhere. In fact, for all of the parents listening, my wife and I do um, a good bit of premarital counseling. Hmm. And we get into the session on sexual intimacy we always ask, do you wish your parents had been more explicit or more helpful as you're growing up? Did you think you got enough? Lindsay, there hasn't been a single couple yet that hasn't said, we wish we would have had more. Yeah. And so I just say to the parents, as your kids are growing up, they often feel alone and confused and troubled and sometimes completely unjustified shame. And really one of the best gifts you can give them is without freaking out, with grace, with empathy, with understanding, really help them unpack what it means to be uh, a sexual person. And then in marriage, just with, with friends, understanding that this is how God made us and how can we do it in a healthy way where we're mm -hmm. encouraging. We have a Savior who forgives, who heals, who empowers, who can deal with shame. I mean, as believers, this is where because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can have such a healing healthy message of compassion and care. Mm, so good. I talk with a lot of my friends, especially kind of in my neighborhood. And as we're all watching our kids grow up, I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And 
we're seeing this transition in their understanding and their questions, you know, about bodies and sexuality. And I share with them often that the average age that I have seen, the average age of a child seeing pornography for the first time is the age of eight. Mm -hmm. And I know that has gone down from the age of 12, which is just devastating and really heart-wrenching to me. And a lot of that, most people are like, well, I mean, not in my home, right? Like they're not going to see that in my home. And and the issue that we see is that kids on the bus have cell phones. Kids at school have cell phones and they're able to find these things. And so the sooner that we can have these conversations with our children and to let them know, hey, it's a beautiful gift. It's nothing to be ashamed of. The interest and the intrigue is natural, but it is the way that God has created you to explore that within marriage that is is important to focus on, but it is not this dirty, grimy thing that you wait to do with the person that you love. So what kind of conversations would you recommend? And I, I know this isn't the sole focus, but it is so important to me and I know to my listeners, but it, maybe how do you approach that conversation with parents to have that discussion with their children? Like what does that look like if they're fearful and they never got the birds and the bees talk? How would you recommend they they walk into that? I'd say first empathy. It's terrifying. Hmm. It's mystifying. There's a lot of shame. And what I, I like to tell moms is that it's not a fair fight when a, a kid, and look, I've dealt with a lot of young men and this is what happened to them. And, and they might've been 10 or 11. And suddenly they're presented with the opportunity, click on this button and you get to see what a naked woman looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a natural curiosity. Right. It might not even be lust. It might not be salacious. It's just, huh. And so they click on it and not all of them, but for some of them, they get a rush of endorphin like they've never had before. They don't have the spiritual, emotional, or psychological strength to deal with it properly. And it's just not a fair fight. And yeah. I, and yet then they come out feeling shame, so they don't want to talk about it. They feel like they've done something awful. And I just, I feel for them. And then with women, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I understand that it's even worse. I had a long discussion in a seminary class with Dr. Joyce Skarka, who got into pornography as a younger woman, who did a doctoral thesis on it. And for them, it's often doubled because they think, well, this is the guy's sin. There's something particularly wrong with me if I'm a girl looking at this. Um, And and the fact is that they were entrapped. There's a natural curiosity. There's natural neurological functions going on that took hold of them when they just really didn't have the maturity spiritually, intellectually, relationally, psychologically to deal with it. And so I think God responds with compassion. What we can do is to try to help them pass the curiosity, help them discover it in a healthy, non-freak-out way. Mm-hmm. Um, a book that I think is very helpful, It's uh, it's been out for a while. It's written by Kathy Bell and Kevin Lehman, and I believe it's called A Chicken's Guide to Talking Turkey with Your Kids About Sex. <laughs> That's cute. A Chicken's Guide to Talking Turkey with Your Kids About Sex. And Kathy has worked with a lot of younger people. And she says it begins just with hygiene, when they're taking baths when they're young and using correct body parts and whatnot. But it's not about waiting for the talk. Uh, That's not the healthiest approach, but just in uh, an an appropriate age-growing way, Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with it. Now, what you cited is, I think, one of the saddest things today, Mm -hmm. when their first interaction is porn 
the world is taking away a lot of their innocence right. long before it should be. Uh, and I, I just grieve over that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. And you know, what's been interesting is as I have researched and, and spoken to so many people on this topic and, and women, as you're mentioning, Gary, women who struggle with pornography, a lot of the time what I'm seeing, and I know this is not the general consensus, but it is a situation that I've seen is where women, they watch pornography because they're interested in what men are seeing and what men are so intrigued by. And I think that this creates this real brokenness within a woman because not only do they then potentially get addicted to something that is so damaging to our soul and our spirit and our heart, but they also then feel like they are never enough. And they get sucked into this feeling of, I need to be this actress because none of this is real. These women are not real. These women are not, they're, they're actresses, they're performing. And, but the confusion then just really creates chaos within the relationship because the husband feels like, okay, this is something that maybe I deserve, or this is something that I want and I long for, this fictional version of a human being. And then the woman is constantly striving to be this version of this woman that she will never measure up to because it is not real. How have you seen this play out in relationships with pornography addiction and then women feeling as if they are not enough and will never measure up? And is there a way out of that? Yeah. Well, I, I dealt with a few couples in the book, one where the, the woman and the husband were both looking at it, one where the husband had more uh, of a history with porn. And one of the challenges I had with him, because he thought something was wrong with his wife because she couldn't orgasm mm. uh, just from basic intercourse. Mm. And I had to explain to him, I've seen distance different statistics, but there's one woman, a, a government researcher, who puts it at about 15% of women who are able to reach orgasm without uh, other kind of manipulation. Sure. Like way. clitoral stimulation. Yes. And, yes. So, um, so I had to explain to him, not only is your wife not abnormal, I go, she is vastly, no, that's the truth of most people. He says, but then it right. can take so long afterwards. It can take up to 10 minutes. I said, <laughs> my studies showed that it can be 20 minutes. So yeah. actually- She's much easier <laughs> than, than most <laughs> wives. And so he felt like something was wrong with the wife who was, it, and I hate to use this language, Lindsay, but I'm looking at it from his perspective, who was above average, who was easier to please than most women. Sure. And yet he thought the reverse. And then she felt that way uh, as well. And then mm -hmm. the one woman who was looking at porn, she had a higher sex drive than her husband did. Um, there were some physical reasons for that, a condition that she had and whatnot, but but she felt like she was broken and he felt like he was broken. He felt like he was broken because he only wanted sex three times a week, which is above average for a couple that have been married as long as they have. And, right. and she thought she was broken because she didn't think the wife is supposed to want it more than her husband. Mm -hmm. And again, the greatest act of disinformation, we talk about disinformation politically, but sexually through porn, it's, it's the highest level of it. Um, that couples are immediately excited that they don't have to work at it. And I, again, I just tell these people, they call them porn actresses for a reason. Yes. They're acting. It's not helping you. It's misleading you. That's not the way a real relationship works. Hmm. 
Yes. So for the couples who maybe have been sucked into this, maybe it is just the husband, maybe it is both of them. I think that there has been this very common misconception, especially out in the world, maybe not so much in the church, but that it is healthy and good to watch porn together because it stimulates and it creates excitement. But all that I have seen is that it also slowly creates destruction because you're inviting others into something that God has created solely for you and your spouse, not for others to be involved in, not to be watching because it creates this lust. It creates this desire for more. And and I have seen a lot of people you know, fall into this trap of watching things that get progressively worse and more maybe dark, and then they aren't able to find their way out. And then actual sex and intimacy with their spouse does not please them. So speaking to couples who maybe need to create this, as you spoke about in your book, this fortress around their marriage, how do they start to progressively get out of this addiction and work through the brokenness that pornography may have caused within their marriage? Well, I, I first I'll, I'll agree with you that they've, they've got to stop with the pornography because it literally does rewire a man's brain. What's going on with neuroscience? You look in the Song of Songs, mm-hmm. and when the husband's talking about his wife's beauty, he's the, the language used is overwhelmed. You think of Proverbs, uh, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, may you ever be captivated by her love. That word captivated in the Hebrew uh, everywhere else, it, it, it's it's where a guy is clapping and shouting and rejoicing over the beauty of his wife. Elsewhere, mm-hmm. the king says he's overwhelmed by his wife's tresses, referring to her hairs, hair or her eyes. Uh, th- th- there's something about the guys where it's, it's her hair, it's her eye, it's it's other parts of her, where it uses a language where he's overwhelmed. And the Bible presents this: May you ever be satisfied. Mm-hmm. May you ever be captivated. It is a wonderful thing. It is a holy and sacred thing for a man to be captivated by his wife's beauty. But what porn does is the exact opposite. The dopamine hit from porn comes from a man seeing a woman naked that he's never seen naked before. And it's why if you talk to an addict, their sessions can go on for hours. They would never have real healthy sex for hours, but porn does because the more excitement is, well, there might be something else. There might be something else. And then if they come across, and I know this is so untoward, Lindsay, I, I, it, it's ugly even to talk about it, but if they come across a picture or a video they've seen before, it doesn't work. Yeah. It has to be new because a dopamine hit comes from something new. So a man who's watching porn is literally training his brain to not be capable of being satisfied by seeing the same woman that he's been married to. Whereas in the biblical model, if you have a faithful mind and then you're making love to your wife, when oxytocin is released in your brain, which happens during sex, your wife becomes more beautiful to you and other women less beautiful by comparison. So you're literally training your brain to find your woman, wife to be the most beautiful woman in the world. So God's model leads to satisfaction and increasing affection and increasing adoration and even celebration of your wife's beauty. Hmm. Porn's model makes a man incapable of sexually functioning with his wife because she's not new. 
And I've, I've seen it also, Lindsay, it just, it moves couples to try to introduce things that I just don't think naturally people would think to do or would naturally find particularly uh, fun or enjoyable or pleasurable. So I, I, I think the devastation is considerable at the start. And I think it's the worst, the farther you go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I I appreciate the untoward discussions because it is real life. And these are things that people are facing within their relationships more than ever before because of the accessibility of of pornography and photos and videos and even just scrolling through apps where the algorithm is working against you. You know, and protection needs to be had. I think that boundaries need to be created within the relationship within the phones, you know, where people have something that if this is even the slightest struggle, knowing that the world is not on your side and the protection that you create within your relationship is a choice that needs to be made in order to continue growing in your satisfaction with your spouse. And so what would you say, Gary, for those who may just feel defeated? They may feel as if their relationship is at the bottom level, whether it's because of broken trust or an affair, um, they just feel like there's no way out. You have mentored many couples. What would your word be for those people? Well, first I'd say that betrayal is to a marriage what dynamite is to a door. It just blows it apart. Marriage in an intimate way is built on trust and security knowledge and understanding. Betrayal is built on lies and deception. Uh, and it, it, it's just terrible. But here's what I found that I was surprised in, in, in writing the book, Making Your Marriage a Fortress. The couples who had been through this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a caveat here in a second, ended up with much better marriages after they went through the process. But Lindsay, here's the caveat. Because both parties were repentant and in recovery, and working hard to rebuild trust. Amen. It's a different situation. If there's been betrayal, and the other spouses will just get over it, or why can't you just forgive me, and they're not working on recovery, and they're not really recovered, that's an entirely different situation. But when you reach that point where both parties are bare before the Lord, they're searching their own hearts. We we just moved to Colorado And we bought a home and it's so scary right now because it was built in the early 70s, literally had the ugliest master bathroom (laughs) I've ever seen. We looked at dozens of homes. I thought my wife would never agree to live there, but it's on a beautiful property that overlooks this wonderful trail with these trees. Hmm. But a guy came in and said, we can fix this. We can take space here. We can do that there. So if you were to go to our house this afternoon, as my wife will be doing, it is gutted. There's literally dirt. You walk in the house and you see dirt to your right. I mean, there's nothing but pipes and whatnot. The house has been demolished, but that's what you have to do to rebuild it. Mm -hmm. And what these couples said, I I know one where um, one is a story where the wife had an affair and one was a story where the husband had an affair. And both the husband who had been cheated on, the wife who had been cheated on said, We wish there would have been a way other than an affair for this to happen, but it's given us a better marriage than we've ever had, and we would never go back. Now, again, it's because the spouses were repentant and in recovery and did their work. So we really, I just really want people to know that it, it does take 
two to recover from affairs. Not just about forgetting, forgiving and trying to forget. Um, if the marriage is going to grow stronger, it really does have to be based on repentance, genuine repentance, which leads to forgiveness and a change in attitude. Hmm. Yeah. Amen. I have experienced that with many couples. And as you're saying, it's not something you would wish upon anyone, but the people in our lives who have walked through an affair, it has been such a testament of God's grace and redemption to me to watch the growth and the maturity and the progress within their relationship as continual repentance. I mean, because it it's not something you repent of, you forgive of one time, right? This is continual, long-suffering patience and repetitive forgiveness for moments when memories pop in or conversation topics pop up and you have to consistently turn your eyes back to Jesus to know that this is not about us. This is ultimately and essentially about the testament of God's restoration and redemption and to see that their relationship has many of them truly. And just to give hope to those out there who may have walked through this, that their relationship is stronger than it has ever been, even if it was strong before, because they have had to lean so deeply and intentionally into the Lord that it is, it's such a beautiful thing to see what the power of God can do. And that it, even through the thick of those ashes that you would never again wish on anybody. He creates beauty and his glory where these people are now able to bring hope to other couples who have walked through this and say, we never thought we would make it out alive. We were in rubble. We were devastated. And yet God was there and he He brought us out. And not to say there was not trial and hardship and counseling and therapy and, and so much hurt but that there has been beauty that has come from it. The power of our God that mm. he can take one of the worst things we could do and make us stronger as a couple coming out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, two of the couples I talked to, it was interesting that both of the guys were um, doing regular, they have accountability where there's a guy who has professionally trained to do uh, lie detectors and they know they have to do it. Um, well, at the start of their recovery, they were doing it every month and now, and I think it goes to quarterly and then twice a year or whatnot. And at first the men hated it. I mean, it's just the, the sense of being found out where the wife could ask them anything. But I found the men were bigger fans of it because they said it really brought me to live in the light that the real problem, even more than lust, was lying. Yes. The deception covers the lust. But now I knew if I do anything, she will find out. And so that accountability helped to make better choices. And then the wives told me, one wife said, Gary, I wouldn't want to go back. I know my husband really messed up, but I know now he isn't because I'm finding out if he does. And she goes, I wouldn't want to start over. How do I know a guy's lying? She goes, in fact, if something happened to my husband on our first date, I'm bringing the lie detector guy with me. <laughs> she goes, because I've just found that it's a different marriage when you mm -hmm. live in the light. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. Uh, Satan is the father of lies, according to Satan. So what truth does is it brings Jesus into your marriage. What lying does is that it brings Satan into your marriage. You're using Satan's methods to try to keep you together. And if you're lying, if, if listeners are lying to themselves, well, if I told my spouse, it might cause this or that, or it's just better they don't know. Well, you're you're trying to follow the model of Satan rather than Jesus in yeah. building a relationship that's based on lies 
and not on truth. Hmm. Amen. I think that that has been one of the greatest revelations. We've been married for 10 years, together for 13. And um, one of the biggest things that we have struggled with is my husband battles with shame. And he was raised as a pastor's kid and feels like he's got to have it buttoned up and all together at all times. I was saved much later on after a life of just promiscuity and brokenness. And so my desire is constantly just to get it out because I know what it felt like to just constantly live with that brokenness. And I I know that as soon as it's out in the light, Satan loses his power. But one thing that we saw within our relationship, and I'd love for you to speak to this, Gary, is because of his shame, he didn't want to be honest. And he he's very open about this. He didn't want to be honest. And then I constantly felt betrayed because there were moments when I would find things out and feel like, wait, but I gave you opportunities. You know, I was a yes. safe space. I I opened doors. I asked questions and you still didn't say it. And I finally had a moment when I saw his brokenness and it wasn't brokenness he usually showed me because I think when people are living in that shame, one of the most common responses is defensiveness and yeah. pride and anger because they want to protect and they want to shell up. So I felt like, gosh, your ego, like let go of the ego. But what I found when we really got down to it was he was broken and he was broken before the Lord. And I had to encourage and say, hey, this brokenness is healing to me as your wife because I see that you don't want to live here. I see that you you don't want to cover this up. You just don't feel like you have any other way. And that is where the accountability of others coming into our marriage and speaking into these really hard topics. And, you know, everyone says it's really scary to lay everything out there, but we wouldn't have made it if we didn't always lay everything out, the the sin and the lies and the shame and the hardship so that others could pour life and speak truth into our marriage. Those who have been married longer than us and, and love the Lord has been so healing. But I would like to ask you, Gary, your experience with this, you know, what would you say to a woman who, or a man, you know, who maybe feels like there's just been so much betrayal and so many lies that they kind of feel like they can't find their way out. What are some ways that they can maybe create boundaries so that the temptation isn't as prevalent in their relationship? Well, the the first thing I'd say, and first, let me just commend you, Lindsay, it sounds like the way that you responded was just textbook perfect and helpful. And I want to cite two professionals, PhDs, that that will will back that up. But first, let me just say, if somebody's been betrayed, they need care for themselves, not just for the marriage, not couples counseling. They need individual counseling. They need somebody that can help them process the anger. And and they might have responded in an inappropriate way. I'm going to talk about the best ways to respond, but I'm never going to fault a woman or a man who finds out that their spouse has been unfaithful and doesn't respond in the best way. I mean, we're real, you know? I mean, David was cheated on by Terry. I mentioned him in the book and he had a terrible response, but he was so frustrated. And um, so Dr. Joyce Skarka did a doctoral thesis on it. She's just a very wise woman on this. And, and she addressed sexual shame amongst wives and sometimes why in a Christian church, it's more difficult and whatnot. And what she found is the where marriage became healing for these women was when the responses were marked by three things. 
empathy, the husband having empathy for what she's been through. Sort of like I said, it's not a fair fight when a 12-year-old is asked, if you click on this button, you can see a naked woman. I mean, right. it's I, I see that maybe you didn't have that relationship with your dad. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you didn't feel loved. And so somebody's love bombing. It's just this, you're not excusing them, but you're demonstrating that you have empathy. It's mm-hmm. not a perfect world. You weren't a perfect person. In one sense, you were probably set up a little bit. The second thing is active listening. Well, tell me more. Well, help me understand this. What that does is that it really helps the person understand that you're not a bother to them, that you're actively listening. And the third thing was, uh, we're in this together attitude. What the wife wants to know right at the start is, I'm not done with you. This is a new chapter. We're just getting started and we will face this together. We will face your shame together. We will face your sin together. We'll face your recovery together. We'll face the processes of us getting back together. She said she believes the same thing is true for when men share with their wives, but for the purpose of her research, it was wives sharing it to husbands. So the three things, empathy instead of judgment, active listening, and a we're in this together attitude. Now, naturally, Instead of empathy, people want to respond with anger and horror, which I get. Instead of active listening, you're going to listen to me. How dare you? This is what it means. And again, that makes sense to me. And instead of a we're in this together, the natural response is often we're done. Yeah. Um, again, that's why I think people need counsel because I'm not faulting anyone if they did all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not their fault that their spouse sinned. That that became so apparent when I was working with these couples who cheated. All of the couples who cheated admitted, no, it, 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 it would have happened regardless of who I'm married to. It wasn't that their spouse was lacking. It were issues that they had long before they got married. So, But those are the three things that hopefully you want to look for. And then the other researchers I relied on is Dr. Archibald Hart and Dr. Sharon May. It's actually a father-daughter team. Dr. Hart died, uh, I think about a year and a half ago, his daughter is still writing. And they said the three things that are behind betrayal are also the three things that can rebuild trust. And that is trust is the first thing. Emotional availability is the second one. And sensitive responsiveness is the third. So those are very similar to what Joy said. But to be connected, what what they talked about, the important thing is to become emotionally reconnected. And it begins with trust. And it's not just about sexual faithfulness. It's if you say you're going to pick something up at the store, you you pick it up at the store. If you say Mm -hmm. you're going to pick up your kid from soccer practice, you're there on time. There's a sense of trust that you honor each other by doing what you say you're going to do. Emotional availability means your problems aren't a burden to me. That's what I'm here for. I'm available to you. I'm not going to try to solve your problems. I'm not going to try to explain away your problems. I'm not going to accuse you for your problems. I'm emotionally available for what you're going through. And then the sensitive responsiveness, again, this is what's so hard, learning to respond in a way that doesn't push your spouse away. Mm-hmm. Even if it's very hurtful, you're trying to find a way to how can I respond in a way um, that's that's sensitive, that we're in this together. I still want to be here. That's if, Lindsay, you think you want the marriage to keep going. I've had some cases where I was working with a couple where the guy had never been faithful to his wife in 10 years of marriage. I mean, he would take a couple months off here or there. 
But when the full horror came through and she wants a divorce, all of a sudden, Gary, you got to tell her God hates divorces. I said, look, you have never been faithful to her. The reason that you're getting serious about it now is that you're finally going to lose her. And I can't tell her she can't do what Jesus gives her an option to do. So those are different situations. And this is a nuance where I'm glad we can talk on a podcast because in a blog, you kind of get, you know, stark this or that. And and people need to know the nuance that where there's recovery, there's repentance. I don't think single-handedly a person can forgive and see the marriage healed without being offended again if the person hasn't dealt with their heart. Because again, sexual addiction makes sexual healthy sex impossible because in a sexual addiction, the addict is focused on the act, not the person. Right. And in marital sex, you're cherishing each other. You're with each other. It's not the act. It's the relationship. The way I, I, I wrote a book called Cherish, where I said, the difference is I use sex to cherish my wife. I don't want to use my wife to cherish sex. Yeah, that's a huge good. difference there. Mm. That we use sex as a tool to speak of the loveliness of our spouse, to pleasure our spouse, to give to our spouse, to speak of their excellence and desirability. That's an entirely different dynamic than yeah. using our spouse because that's the only way we can experience sex. That's where an addict goes. And that has to be broken before the marriage can be renewed. I heard a long time ago, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but I heard a quote that said, if you get married for sex, it's like buying an airplane for the peanuts. It is such a small portion of the relationship, such a sweet and beautiful portion and one that can grow and be fostered and nurtured over time. But the emotional connection, the intellectual intimacy, the recreational intimacy, all of those things are so important as well. So I fully agree. And I want to go back a little bit, and this will be my last question um, before we wrap up. But one thing that I loved that you said is, you know, working together as a team, once you decide that that's something that you want to do, if you've been betrayed and you desire to move forward, I think so often people struggle with getting, becoming vulnerable again. And and as you said, I handled things perfectly. I'm like, oh my gosh, let me clarify that. Absolutely not. I think I've learned a lot, but, and my husband has never had an affair or anything, but we've had our struggles with, like I had said, secrecy and just shame. And I had moments where I lashed out, you know, and I'm like, okay, no, I'm giving you a safe place, but I am hurt. And my, my hurt response is to totally disengage and to wall up and to become cold and hard because I'm hurting and to then treat it as if we're two separate people living separate lives because I am betrayed. But what I felt like God has slowly taught me and what I've slowly been receptive to is realizing one, this is not about us. Two, I have to work toward Jesus alongside you in order for us to see healing or healing will never come. Because if I, as a woman, am needing you to constantly pursue, constantly prove to me that you are this perfect man or person who never makes mistakes, then I am living in this falsity of what relationship is or what marriage is. However, if I say, no, you are broken and sinful and depraved, just as I am broken and sinful and depraved. And if I can humble myself to a place of saying, I'm going to point 
you to Jesus instead of back at myself when you are broken and when you fall in sin. And when I point myself back to Jesus instead of back to my marriage or my image or my reputation or whatever it could be, I find that there's so much more grace and mercy. But when I allow allow insecurity to reign and I allow protecting myself, when that becomes more important than the healing and restoration of my relationship as when we are more divided than ever and the enemy comes to destroy. And so he's going to use that thing. Like my struggle is insecurity. So anything that brings on that insecurity feels like my world is being shattered, but that's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to find that thing that breaks and destroys, and he's going to use that against your relationship. And so um, in closing, I would just love to hear how your book, Making Your Marriage a Fortress, can really help to maybe restore the perspectives that these couples have as they try to move forward in healing or even in healthy relationships where they're just wanting to grow stronger, better for the glory of God. The whole point is that storms are going to hit. I mean, I opened the book with the story of Hurricane uh, Harvey in, in Houston. Mm-hmm. We've been hearing about hurricanes and whatnot when we lived in Texas and they'd always end up for not. And then Harvey hit and it was as bad as they say it is. And the point is we live in a fallen world as fallen people. And there are different things. One couple, the wife married the husband because she wanted a strong man and he, he would bench press 400 pounds, which if your listeners don't know, that's a lot. It's probably (laughs) 350 pounds more than I can do. I mean, (laughs) And then he's diagnosed with MS two months into their marriage. Mm. So how do they not let that rip them apart, but grow closer together? Couples with financial troubles that just started to turn them against each other. Well, wait, how can this turn us back? A couple that lost their only child, not just a child, but their mm-hmm. only child in tragic circumstances. And one of the first thing she said to a friend is, look, I know 70% of couples, they're going to break up. Don't let this steal my marriage now that I've lost my my only son and, and, and my only child. And then here with the affair that we've been talking about, how couples went through something that has ripped so many couples apart, but now their marriage is a fortress against it. They found it to be a, a strengthening thing. And so it all comes back, Lindsay, and this is just going to sound like a cliche, but for all of them, it really came back to their faith. Yeah. Um, the, the woman whose husband had MS ultimately said, you know what? God is my defender. God is my protector. I got married to my husband thinking he's going to protect me. She had a really tough childhood, but this is a man who will protect me. But then she had, no, God wanted me to say, look, I'm your defender. I'm your stronghold. Terry said that one of the reasons that she got into an affair was that she had expectations of David that he wasn't meeting. And so then when she's at work, there's this guy that is showing some attention to her. And so she was set up to be wooed. And so then she started seeking him out a little bit because she enjoyed the attention. And so then she started receiving his flirtations. And so then she allowed him to kiss her at a bar and then later ended up meeting him at a hotel. It wasn't lust. It was slow steps of expectations that had never been met and never been addressed. She didn't use her marriage as a fortress against the temptation. She just used the temptation as evidence in her mind that there was something lacking in her marriage. So instead of trying to put her marriage back together, say, well, my marriage is a problem, and then ultimately just about destroyed it. But yeah. but what really helped them, as you go back, I think of what you were saying about five minutes ago, 
where I think it worked out so well for Terry and David and while they were able to put their marriage back together is that she was deeply repentant and, and David would keep asking about where did you meet? How often did you meet? When were you there? Whatnot. And she'd keep asking the questions. And one time he was just drilling her. And she said, David, you've asked this question a hundred times. I know you're trying to see if there's something else. She goes, but I'm an open book and I will let you ask it a hundred more times. Mm-hmm. And something broke in David right then because he realized, okay, now we're honest. Now we're real. And he said they had some of the best intimacy they've ever known. Terry wasn't defensive. She was, I did this to you. It makes sense to me that you would be suspicious. It makes sense that you wouldn't trust me. And I think that's so key for the offending partner, Lindsay, that repentance is continuing. Of course, you don't suspect me. Of course, you want, or of course, you suspect me. Of course, you mm-hmm. want to know where I was. Of course, if you see my search things you, and, and everything's been erased, you're going to be um, suspicious. We did that to them. Should be yes. the attitude of the spouse who's offending. And I want to rebuild trust by showing you you can trust me again. I'm an open book. I'm going to live in the light. I'm going to live by truth. I remain to be sorry for what I am. I'm not going to ask you to just forget it. You'll probably never forget it. I'm not going to ask you to get over it. What I'm going to do, and and this is what was so helpful for David and Terry, is that they began building new memories. They're they're a fan of what they call adventure-based dates. Love that. They trust each other. They support each other because they said, look, you let me down five years ago, but when we were on that high wire, you were there for me. (laughs) Or you yes. were here for this. And, and and you're just laying positive memories of trust and emotional availability and sensitive responsiveness. You're laying down track after track after track. And eventually, you can make your marriage a fortress against a future challenge where I don't think any of these couples are particularly susceptible to falling in because they have made their marriage a fortress. They realize what went wrong, where were the holes in the wall, how do we plug them, And ultimately saying, we never want to go back. We hate what happened, but we never want to go back to where we were before when we were lying and not intimate and and really not connected as a couple emotionally. Wow. That is all so good. Thank you so much, Gary. I love your book, Sacred Marriage. I also love that you're um, drawing in other couples and their stories within making your marriage a fortress to show people. Because I think a lot of the time they read these books and they're like, yeah, that's all great and grand and well, but it's not me. But to hear the real stories and the real deception and the real brokenness and how they really had hope through Jesus. And like you said, you know, it seems cliche, but their faith brings hope and it brings life and it brings purpose. Whereas the world doesn't offer that, you know, and it's just, okay, well, I might as well give up and go find something else. And I spoke with a divorce lawyer recently and he said, you know, most people who go on to find a second or third partner wish they would have just stayed with the first and worked through the issues that they had. The, you know, 85% was great, but it was just the additional that was broken. And had they just worked through that percentage, they could have had a beautiful, almost perfect marriage, but they gave up because that percentage was hard. And then they, they fall and they find that they're not content in their next marriage. So that faith shows you, no, God has ordained this relationship to be one that is of oneness, of beauty, of glory, of brokenness and restoration because we're human and we're sinful 
but that it is not impossible. And so I just love that you're showing that in making your marriage a fortress. And I'm just so thankful for your heart and for your wisdom, Gary. And if you could tell our audience where they can find you on social media and where they can find your book. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I do think, Lindsay, the one thing that makes this book different from my previous ones is what you said. I said what I could say about marriage in previous books and sacred marriage and cherish and a lifelong love. But I found in making your marriage a fortress that every married couple that's married well has a chapter in them. Yes. And so shamelessly, I, I'm more of a journalist. Show me the wisdom. Show me the understanding. Not everybody has a book in them, but most people, if they've been through challenges, they have a chapter. And that's why every chapter is really based on the wisdom of other couples, not my opinion as much as research and their experience. Uh, my my website okay. is GaryThomas.com. I write uh, weekly blogs on Substack, which is GaryThomasBooks.Substack.com. Those are the best places to reach me. If you just remember the name, GaryThomasBooks.Substack.com or GaryThomas.com for the the website. Perfect. Um, and, and I'll yeah. link all of that as well, yeah, of course, in the sure. show notes. Yes. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Gary. And for all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, please don't forget to share and tag us. Let us know what you gained from the conversation. And as always, I say, share with a friend or family member, even just one person to allow them to hear the goodness and the glory of God in order to heal and restore their relationship or just to propel them further to honor the Lord in their relationships. So we love you all. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review on iTunes, it would mean so much if you could take a second to do so. And we will talk to you next Monday. Love you guys. Bye.